team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we got a fun one lined up today. We're going to preview Saturday's matchup with the Argos. We're going to play a little game of fill on the blank, but we're going to start with some Ticats talk as we always do. But since there's been no like major news to discuss, I thought it would be fun if we look back on some major news from the offseason, namely all the changes the team made to its roster over the winter and kind of analyze those moves now that we've had really over two thirds of the season with which to kind of evaluate them. The Ticats, as you, we all know, you can go listen back in the archives. They made a ton of moves this off season with the roster turning over nearly half their starters from a season ago. They let go of a number of veteran players, Joe Montetos Knox, Stephen Dunbar, Carrie Brooks, so on and so forth. And they brought in a bunch of new guys hoping to replenish the roster, hoping that they'd be better players. The question is, did the team make the right decisions? Well, that's what we're here to tell you. So today, Mike and I are going to be grading these moves as if we were school teachers in a sense. Uh, the new school year is beginning. I once had dreams of being a teacher, so I think this is a fun way to dip my toes into those waters. I thought it would only be right with it being September and everyone's back in school that we chose to put a grade on these moves that the Ticats made over the offseason. We're going to split this up over the next two weeks, though. This week, we're going to talk about the offensive players, and the next week, we'll get into all the new additions that they made on the defense. There are four players that they signed in free agency, however, or brought in over the course of the winter that we're not going to include here. That is receivers Levi Noel and Chris Osikusi, defensive lineman Kwaku Boateng, and linebacker Frazier Sopik. Noel and Boateng retired before they ever played a game for the Ticats. Noel retired before training camp. Boateng obviously sat out the first week of the season and then was released and then retired himself. He's now a coach, I believe, at Wilfrid Laurier. While Sopic and Osikusi, they simply haven't played enough. Uh, Sopic's been hurt. Osikusi's been on the practice roster most of the season, so I don't think those really warrant much of a discussion. And those two players were really added as depth signings anyway at the time. I don't think anyone really expected them to be major contributors. So I don't think really giving them a grade would be fair because they'd be lower grades and it's not necessarily their fault that they haven't had a chance to play, what have you. So now that we've said or talked about the guys that we won't be speaking on, let's talk about the guys that we will. And as I said, we're going to cover the offense today and there's no better place to start than with the guy they brought in to be the face of the franchise, and that is one Bo Levi Mitchell. The Ticats traded for Mitchell's rights shortly after their season ended last year, and then they signed him to a lucrative three-year contract extension back in January. Bo began the season as the starter, but injuries have ravaged him this year, with him having more stints on the six-game injured list with two than he's had games where he start and finished, which is just one. Bo has played in three games total this year, and even when he was on the field, 
he didn't really look like prime time big player Bo that we saw in Calgary. He has completed just 57.5% of his passes for 714 yards, three touchdowns, and perhaps most concerningly, nine interceptions. It has not been a great season for Mitchell at all, even if you take out the injury issues that have forced him to miss a total of 10 games. So, Mike, what grade would you put on this move to bring Bo into Hamilton? An F. It's a complete failure. Um, <clears throat> now, I know you ran through all the, the factors in his uh, in his season. He's been injured for most of the time, but you talk about those numbers three times the interceptions than uh, touchdown passes. It's just embarrassing. He was on the decline for many years before he came to Hamilton. And, you know, if we had a, if we had, you know, we have so many GMs and, and whatever. I don't know who's bringing the guys in for sure. But, you know, it was a big mistake by them because he sucks. He's sucked since he's been here. And I don't know if he'll ever play again. You know, we, he came in um, the, the game. He got injured. He came back and he sucked in that game. He had five interceptions. And then our coach got him injured. So he's been a complete failure. I think he's been completely overrated his whole career. He was in Calgary on a very good team. On a very good team that was uh, that could develop quarterbacks. And that hid his faults. He was he was on a team that could um, you know perform well around him. He had a lot of talent around him. He had a great coaching staff. He's just one of the most overrated players in CFL history. I feel like you've been holding that one in the barrel for a little while now. I know. I mean, if you listen to any of the old shows, you should be aware that Mike has never really been a fan of Bo's, but he gave him a chance. I think when he came here, hoping that maybe sprinkle a little. And hey, if he comes back and he and he lights the world on fire and, and the Ticats win a Grey Cup, then I'll eat my words. Sure. But at this point, it's a complete failure. Just a a waste of money, a waste of five hundred thousand plus dollars. You know, it's just. Uh, He's not what he, you know, he came in as advertised, you know, he was healthy now, he's going to be that old bow, and I'm not even sure the old bow was that, was that great to begin with. Um, everyone talked about his winning percentage, oh, it's the greatest winning percentage of all time, but as we know, football is a team sport, and it's not just Bo Levi Mitchell winning games for the Calgary Stampeders, it was the team winning games, so... Yeah, for all those reasons, and, you know, mostly because he's played like shit the entire time he's been in Hamilton, he gets an F. Yeah, I'll be a little kinder. It's still a D. It's still a failing grade for me. And the injury thing is, to me, is not an excuse because we knew coming into this that he'd been injured the last two and a half years he was with the Stampeders. So it's not as if you bring in a guy who's been hurt. And it's different things he keeps hurting. Like it was his groin earlier this season. And then obviously the nonsense with his ankle and, and, and leg, the stupidity with that well, wasn't his fault. And I, and I, it's hard to blame him for that, but you're right. In that game, he played like garbage. You got nine interceptions, to five picks in that one game alone. Like, and he, he hasn't been good. And he's not the reason that this team is where they are right now. In fact, they might be, have been better had they stuck with Dane Evans. So I don't want to say it's an F because that it's not a complete season yet. And he will come back and play. Uh, he, I'm not, I talked about this. I, I already sent out my, uh, my show on Patreon where I discussed the Ticats uh, practice from today. He was at practice today. He wasn't 
taking part. I don't think he's going to play this week, but he was out there in uniform, no helmet, mm. working with the trainers on the sidelines, doing some some agility drills. Clearly looked like he was working on his leg, like to see if it could hold up. He's doing some like football movements and stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if this if he misses this week's game, but is back for the Calgary game. So he will he will be playing again. I don't think there's any question that he'll be the starter. I know that there's been some. I wrote on my piece for three down that there's no quarterback controversy in Hamilton, and some people push back on that. But uh, you might not like it, Mike. You might not like it, but Bo's going to be the starter once he's healthy again, regardless. But yeah, this move hasn't worked out. Hasn't worked out at all. And and Taylor Powell's been the better quarterback of of every Tiger Cats quarterback we've seen this this year. So the fact that he can come in and run this offense competently and not throw a ton of interceptions and and score points speaks kind of poorly to where Bo's at in his career right now. However, the one caveat I will give is that we haven't seen Bo in Milanovic's offense yet. So maybe. Maybe mm-hmm. what Milanovic has done and maybe working with Bo while he's injured because the two, if you're, if you go to Ticats practice and a lot of people don't go, but, and I know you can't go, so I'm not saying anything like that, but if you go to Ticats practice, those guys are constantly communicating. So Bo's going to have all the opportunities to improve on this grade over the final, however many games he plays this year. So that's the one sort of area where I'll, okay, I'll, I'll leave room that there's the possibility to escape better. But if he comes in and he shits the bed, where we've seen Taylor Powell look really, really good, especially these last few weeks. Well, now you're now the questions are: Do you even bother bringing the guy back? And if they don't, if he's here for one season and plays a half dozen games, then this absolutely be this can becomes a Z grade. You know what I mean? Like this would be mm-hmm. an abject failure because you get rid of a guy in Dane Evans, and you you can talk about the faults you want with Dane Evans, whatever. I understand him, and and for the most part, I agree with them. There's definitely was some problems there with him last year. But if you ditch a guy who's in his late 20s for a guy who's in his mid 30s and it's only for one season and he barely plays that season, you can't say anything else. But the move was a complete and other disaster and another failure. Yeah. And let's just let's just hope that he performs well when he comes back, because I'm not sure that he's going to have a short leash, even with the way that Taylor Powell has performed. They're going to be nervous to pull him. They just are because he's the big star. He's the big money man. And I think the right call would be. If he's going to start, which I know he will, he will start when he when he's healthy enough to start to have him on a short leash because we've seen Taylor Powell run this offense and it's pretty damn good. It reminds me a lot, and I'm not in any way comparing these players, but it reminds me in a lot of ways of of Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe. I know that's the NFL and we're a CFL podcast, but there's not a lot of instances where a starting quarterback in the CFL got hurt, at least none that, that immediately spring to mind. You know, I guess maybe Casey Printers and Dave Dickinson, but even then they get to the Grey Cup and Wally Buono decides he's going to start Dave Dickinson, despite the fact that two days before Casey Printers won most outstanding player. But I just think of an established veteran quarterback. Now Bledsoe hadn't won at, at the level that, that Bo had won, but goes down in the game. Star, he was a legit starting quarterback. And was, and, uh, it was a hundred million good dollar one too. man. Big, he yep. was, he had a, he was a he was considered one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL at the time. He gets hurt. Tom Brady comes in. Now Taylor Powell hasn't done. It's not as if the Ticats have won, you know, six of the seven games or whatever that that he's started. You know what I mean? But he's he's steadied the ship and gotten better as the season has progressed. Like we look at these last two games he's had against the Red Blacks, which is like okay, he threw for a ton of yards against the Red Blacks. Now whatever. 
he was great against the Bombers. Like, he went 20 to 26, threw for like 250 yards. Like, he was fantastic against Winnipeg. Just through the, but you just see him getting better and better as the weeks go on. Sometimes a coach has got to make a decision. And if they, if they lose, like, let's say, okay, so I think Powell's going to start this week. We'll get into the Argos game in a second, but let's say Bo does come back for the Calgary game. If he looks bad against a pretty piss poor Calgary team, like this is not the Stan Peters team that Bo was on or that Dave Dickinson was on or Henry Burris or you name the quarterbacks that they've had there. They've always had a lot of great quarterbacks, but this is not a good Calgary team. This is the Calgary team that's probably going to miss the playoffs for the first time in like two decades. If he goes out there and, and is terrible against them, you have to make the move, I think. But they, I don't think they will, but I think the calls to do it from the fan base and from the media especially, I know I'll be doing it, will be allowed to make the change back to Taylor Powell because it's one thing to be like, we love the backup quarterback because we never see him play. You've seen him play, and you've seen him play well. And now you know what this offense is capable of with zero behind center. 19's got to do the same thing. Yeah, he, he absolutely does. And Taylor Powell has been... We're going to get into the younger quarterbacks later, so I, mm-hmm. I won't talk about it too much. But uh, he's been really, really good. And the thing is, he's starting to use his legs as well. You know, obviously he's not racking up something, the yards. He's something not, Bo can't do. Exactly. He's you know he's not Damon Allen. He's not Tracy Ham. He's not a particularly fast guy. But when the opportunities arise, especially in the last couple of games, he's he's taken them and he's used his legs to get important first downs. And that that's another thing that impresses me with this young quarterback. All right, let's talk about Duke Williams. Williams was brought in to seemingly replace Stephen Dunbar Jr. as the team's like physical, big-bodied receiver that catches those balls over the middle. Things started off well. Williams put up some decent numbers after his injury-riddled stint in Saskatchewan. In 10 games, Duke caught 36 passes for 510 yards and one touchdown. They're not otherworldly numbers, but they're fairly decent numbers for a guy who was expected to be a, a number two receiver. Unfortunately, despite seemingly being on his best behavior, something happened a couple of days after the Labor Day Classic earlier this month, which caused Williams to send out a since-deleted tweet that read, it was good, Hamilton, but I'm out. Since then, Duke has been put on the six-game injured list and is away from the team. Since I've returned to practice following my vacation out in PEI, I have not seen him there, so he is not, I don't think he's in, even in Hamilton anymore, to be quite frank. Before we get into the grading of Williams, we never really talked about what happened the week after Labor Day because we didn't record a show. We did the post-game show, but Duke was still on the team then. He even played in Labor Day. Then we didn't do a show, and then by the time we got back, it was a little bit of old news, but also kind of something that we maybe just forgot about, really. I was also waiting to get some information to see if there was anything I could actually tell people on the show about what happened, but everyone remained really tight-lipped about it, so it's still kind of unknown. But I guess since we're talking about Williams now, we might as well cover it a little bit here. What did you make of all that stuff from a couple of weeks ago? Like the team saying he's injured and wasn't going to play against Ottawa, him seemingly saying I'm done with the team. Pretty bizarre situation, no? Very strange. It made me wonder if he's healthy enough to play, but the team said we don't want you to play. And mm-hmm. maybe he took that personally. I like I just pure speculation, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's it's disappointing because – at times this year, Duke was our best receiver. Um, if Tim White didn't, you know, wasn't didn't show up that day, Duke Williams did. So I think he was a pretty good addition, especially early on to this team. But 
yeah, that whole that tweet and then the deletion of the tweet, and then you say he's not even at practice, you know, in street clothes or anything. So I don't know what's going on with this situation. And they like to keep it secret, right? Uh, a lot of things. They're very keep things close to the vest with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And uh, yeah, I, I doubt we'll even know um, by season's end. Maybe after the season ends, we'll find out. But up until then, I bet you they're going to keep pretty tight lipped. Yeah, we probably won't ever really get the full explanation here. It kind of sucks too because there's a lot of people who are saying, I told you so. With this, it was because, Seth Small too, eh? Like Seth yeah, Small, no. gone. No, no yeah. answers. Ba- Bailey, yeah. Bailey Flint, the punter, gone. Yeah. Nothing. Like it's, it is a tight lipped operation, and that's just what you deal with when you cover this team. But uh, with Williams, it's just people are saying you should have seen it coming because this, it happened in Edmonton, it happened in Buffalo, it happened in, it happened when he was at Auburn. It happened in Saskatchewan, obviously, to a much larger degree. But I guess at some point, this guy's kind of his own worst enemy, unfortunately. And if if he and he he came out of the Labor Day game with an injury, that's for certain. We, they took him off the field. I think he went back into the game at some point and then came back out. So it's not as if he wasn't hurt, but the fact that he's, I don't know, taking this personally or I, I'm not sure what the situation is, to be quite frank, but it's an unfortunate end to what was it looked like, like in training camp. He was affable. He was great with the fans that attended training camp. He he seemed to bond with his teammates. There was an incident. I think we talked about it. I, I know I talked about it on my show. I definitely feel like we talked about it here where he got into it with Tunde Adelike, but that kind of lasted a day and then things moved over. I remember a couple, a couple of days later, maybe it was the first practice of the following week. They seemed to be all buddy, buddy again. So it wasn't a thing that, you know, exploded like it could have, but it it just seems like this guy constantly gets in his own way when it comes to his career. And you got to think that the riders took a chance on him. It didn't work there. This was kind of his last chance. Like the talent is clearly there, but now he's getting a little older. And when older receivers, when older players who start to be a bigger headache than the production on the field, that usually spells the end of their career. So I don't know if we'll ever see. I know I have a very good feeling we'll never see Duke Williams wearing a Tiger Cats uniform. Not sure we'll ever see him wearing a CFL uniform ever again either. So given all that's happened, like what grade do you put on the move to bring Williams in? I give it a C. I think that <clears throat> if we were doing these grades, you know, five or six games ago, he might get a B or maybe even like an A minus. But you know, after he kind of fell off after the first four or five games, it's kind of been a decline. And then now he's not even really with the team. So I, I think he, he's been, he was good when he was in there, but you know, like I said, it trailed off as the games went on. So for that reason, I gave him a C. Yeah. I'm going to go with a D on this one as well. Just, he's not here. They brought him in to be the number two guy and now he's gone. And he put up decent-ish numbers, like I said, but wasn't a game-breaker in any sort of meaningful manner. Like you said, it kind of trailed off as the season went on. I think he had one 100-yard game. He only scored one touchdown, which for a guy his size is a little bit disheartening. But just the fact that he once again, I don't want to say let his emotions get the best of him, but that's kind of the best way to put it, shot himself in the foot maybe. I'm not sure. But in any way, just uh, at the end that everyone who wants to say I told you so can now say I told you so because it ended in a terrible fashion as a lot of people, especially out in Saskatchewan, thought it would. So 
with for all of that, despite he was decent on the field, given how the tenure ended, got to be a, a D for me. All right, James Butler. The Ticats brought Butler in from the BC Lions to take over the lead back duties from West Hills, who left to sign in the USFL. Side note, did you see today that the USFL and the XFL are merging? I did see that, yes. Interesting. Who could have seen that coming? Right? It just made sense to do that. Like, why, why have two spring leagues in the States? It yeah. just... Yeah, I mean, so why, why we'll see what happens with that. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, one spring league's one too many, quite frankly. But anyway, <laughs> off off that, Butler's had an up and down year, but things have really started to trend upward recently. He's had games of 114, 118, and 82 rushing yards in his last five games, and has a total of 818 yards on the ground in 13 games, well on his way to going over 1,000 yards on the season. The first Ticats back, as I'm fond of saying, to do that since DeAndre Cobb did it in 2010. He also contributes in the passing game, catching 45 passes for 373 yards and has a giant nose for the end zone with a team leading eight total touchdowns. And Mike, I will not forget to say he is a phenomenal pass blocker. So he's contributing in all areas of the game, whether he's got the ball or not. It sure feels like this Butler signing came as advertised and with his production is shutting up a lot of people who said the Ticats were stupid for spending money on the running back. back. So what grade are you giving this one? I'm giving it an A. Uh, He's fourth in the league in rushing yards. And that's saying something with, you know, uh, most of the way it was a Tommy Condell that offense and he's still managed to get you know in the top echelon of rushing yards top four so and he's got a ton of rushing tds like you said he's, he's over a thousand yards when you combine the rushing and the and the pass mm-hmm. catching and the and the pass protection just he's he's done a tremendous job and he's been healthy he's been here for the most part so he's getting an a from me just a tremendous signing yeah, I think he's the first Ticats running back to go over a thousand scrimmage yards since I think it was CJ Gable in twenty it might have been twenty thirteen. So it's been a while since the Ticats have had a do it all tailback that re- played the majority of the season to be able to do stuff like this. Uh this is an A plus for me. Um the James Butler apology tour. I think we we had we talked about this months and months ago. Might have been after uh, one of the earlier games when he finally had a had a big game. That's got to be coming, man. Have you ever heard? Have you heard of the Josh Allen apology form when everyone started making fun of Josh Allen, and then some Buffalo Bills fan created this like once he started to play really awesome, he's like, "Here's the apology form. Like you all ripped on this guy. Here's what you got to do." I feel like we got to make a James Butler one because everyone, mm-hmm. like you, derisively said, "Why are you paying a running back? You don't pay running backs. You're dying." Blah, blah blah. James Butler has been at this point. He's got my vote for the team's most outstanding player. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, if you yeah. would have told me at the beginning of the year that I'd be voting for him for MOP, I would have called you crazy. I would have thought, I, I would also think that it's like, oh man, the running backs, the MOP, like, geez, this, this, even as good as I thought Butler was, like, this season went to shit. But he's he's been awesome. He's done everything we thought he would do. Now that he's got an offensive coordinator that likes to run the football, the yards are starting to pile up. He's, he's scored, like, he's been this team's most reliable player on the offensive side of the ball, even when the team was going through the doldrums of all those losses, he was still doing the little things. He would have a big game here or there. Just this past game, he picked up a key second down to, to kind of nearly ice the game. They needed the quarterback sneak on the third down, but it essentially iced the game when the entire stadium, including the Bombers, knew they were going to run. Butler still found a way to make a play. 
He's been awesome. And all the people out there who question this move should be eating a giant pile of crow. Because if you're not, then you're not being honest with yourself. This was a phenomenal decision by the Ticats. Wes Hills didn't do this. Wes Hills was a good running back, but he had one speed, and it was run you down. He didn't make people miss. James Butler can make you miss. James Butler is a better receiver. Wes Hills was a good pass blocker. James Butler is better. This was a f- upgrade in every measurable way. A freaking plus for me. All right, last one on offense we have to talk about here, and that is the signing that might have gotten you the most excited this offseason, and that's offensive lineman Joel Figueroa. The team signed Big Figs to be the anchor on the left side of the line, and when he has played, he has done that job fairly well. Problem is, he hasn't played enough, suiting up in just five games this year, and now it looks like he will be back on the injured list after I saw him at practice today with a sling on his right arm. Tough break for a guy who dealt with injuries his whole career, but especially seems to deal with them in Hamilton. So, Mike, you are high on this move in the offseason. What grade are you putting on it now? I'm giving him a D. Uh, he just hasn't been healthy. You know, it's like, and even in those first couple of games where he was healthy, he got beat pretty badly on a, on a couple of occasions, and it led to a sack. So, uh, I thought after the injury, he came in and he played well in the one game or, or two games, whatever it was. But now he's injured again, right? So um, I think if he was on the field, if he was healthy, he'd probably get a better grade from me because I know that he's a very good left tackle. But he's just, he just, you know, I, I had questions about his health coming into this season because he was injured a lot when he was a tie cat his first time around. And it seems to be the injury bug seems to be biting him again. And, you know, the, things happen, right? I can't I can't blame the guy for getting injured. It's a physical sport and, and things happen. But he's just he's just not on the field enough for me to give him a good grade. So he gets a D. Yeah, this almost feels like it'd be an incomplete. But if you give him an incomplete, you'd have to be fair and give Bo the same thing. And we didn't do that. So, no, I'm with you. It's a D. It's D for me as well. And it's not that he gets hurt it's that it's always different things like it wasn't like now it's an arm injury before i think it was a leg injury it was a leg injury and i had a uh air cast on his foot when i saw him at practice all those months ago but again just kind of like with bo you i know he like toughed through a lot of injuries when he was in edmonton and especially in bc but he comes back here and he gets nicked up again they paid him a lot of money to be the guy to protect bo's blind side and he hasn't been i mean they got hurt in the, the first game the second game they played together, they both got hurt in the same game, missed a significant amount of time. Figueroa missed obviously more than Bo did, but I mean, he, he is a good player, but he's in his mid thirties. You play, you talk about how physical the position is that he plays on the offensive line. Like, do you really expect this guy to get more healthy as his career goes on? Like, it's they brought Jordan Murray back. Now I haven't seen any contract numbers, but I'm assuming it's just for the end of the season. And then he'll try to go for the NFL again. But if Murray comes back on a big deal next year, honestly think you kind of move on from Figueroa. And like, I mean, they did, they made the mistake of not moving on from Chris Van Zyl when they should have. And now Van Zyl's collecting a paycheck by sitting on the injured list. I think he's played like two or three games this year. I don't hope they don't make the same mistake with Figueroa. Sometimes you got to let these veteran guys go and it was it was a great idea to bring him in. I, I don't fault them for doing that. We knew that they needed a left tackle, and this was the best one on the market. Just hasn't worked out. Like I, I don't think you can give this anything. But it, like if you wanted to give it an F, I wouldn't be surprised either. But it it can't be anything more than a D. Like it's just been it just it hasn't worked. Unfortunately, it just no. hasn't worked. No, it hasn't worked out for the team and. 
like you said, I was very happy about this. We had a left tackle, we had a right tackle, you know, everything was hunky-dory and then uh, things fall apart. So unfortunately for us and for Figueroa, it hasn't worked out so well. There's still time for him to come back and, and contribute in the most important time of the season. So maybe if we come back at the end of the season and give these guys grades again, it will be a little bit better. Yeah, so next week we're going to discuss all the defensive players. There's going to be a lot of interesting grades there as well, so that'll be a lot of fun to do next week. But speaking of Figueroa, he was involved in one of the more talked-about incidents of the past week after the Ticats released their depth chart ahead of the game against the Bombers. I touched on this uh, on my show on Patreon. Again, that'll be the last mention, I hope, for the day. And in my post-game piece for Three Down Nation. So the Coles Notes version of this is... The Ticats are forced to do some roster finagling because Tunde Adelike was out for the game. So the depth chart that they released saw Brandon Reverberg listed as the starting left tackle and Jakob Zott listed as the starting left guard. Figueroa was then listed as the fifth string fullback. This was obviously, yeah, it was, when, when I was recording my show talking about it, like I couldn't stop laughing. Like I, I was going to record it multiple times because I wanted to be keep it straight like straight face when I did it, but it was just so mm-hmm. ridiculous that I, I just was like, ah, you know, I'm just going to leave it in. Obviously, this was all to be in accordance with that new nationalized, designated nationalized yeah. American rule. And it was just for the opening play, as we had seen a number of times this year. They do it on the opening play. Figueroa came in. Now he got hurt, so he came out. But the, the plan was, as the plan had been, we'd seen it with Kadeem Carey. I think we saw it with Duke Williams with the Ticats earlier this year, where a star player you know is going to play the majority of the game, has to start on the bench, and then he comes in on, uh, on the second play and then plays the rest of the game. This got some people up in arms. John Hodge, my colleague at Three Down, said that a fine should be levied because the Ticats didn't provide an accurate depth chart. I saw others who said that this was unprofessional and it shows a lack of respect by the Ticats and by Orlando Steinauer. What is your take on this whole thing? Where do you stand? Do you do you, you think that the Ticats should be punished for this? Or do you, are you like me? And I'll give you a little hint here. What I wrote on Three Down is the Ticats did this. They did it because of the league. I'll let you know where I'm thinking my blame's going to go. What about you? What do you think of this whole situation? Is there a rule against it? Nope. Did the league make up all these wacky designated American rules where you play snaps after the game? Sure did. So, no, I, I then they're just playing within the rules that the league made, right? So I, I don't think there should be any fines if people want to complain about it, whatever. But uh, they're just... Uh, they're just trying to make their team better, right? Like this, they're not breaking any rules, so I don't have a problem with it. That's exactly what I said. This to me, if you want to find fault with anybody, find fault with the league. They put in these silly rules to try to do fix a problem that I don't even think was a problem. It was a way to keep veteran Americans on teams longer. And no, if you, I'm going to be as blunt as I can. If you looked at the Ticats depth chart, saw Joel Figueroa as the fifth string fullback and thought that's where he was going to play. You're a fucking idiot. You know, it's, I can't, I like, I don't think there's any clearer way to put it. You're a complete moron. If you saw that lineup and go, Oh, well, Figueroa is going to be playing fullback. Like that's, this is the, honest, the when I one. looked at it, I didn't even like, you didn't even see him I, there. Right. I didn't even look at the fullbacks. I was like, oh, Figueroa's not playing. That sucks. And that was my only reaction. But then I heard about it, and I, I think I put out a tweet. I was like, oh, Revenberg's starting a left tackle. Like, fuck me kind of thing. But then I realized, oh, it's probably just for the first play. Um, so I, I quickly caught on to what they were doing. But, yeah, it's, a, it's just a, a funny quirk to this league, right? 
I saw it and I was like, that's weird. And then I saw the fullback thing and I was like, oh, this is a formatting error. Like, cause I, the, I initially yeah. saw it on the tie cats, like, like that funny, like kind of enhanced depth chart they put out on Twitter. I didn't see the actual physical depth chart that I, I get sent as well. Like there's, um, you can go on the tie cats website actually and find it too. Like it's an act, the actual depth chart that I'm, I'm fairly yeah. certain that they sent it to the league. I hadn't seen that. I just seen the like visual one that the tie cats put out with like the fancy graphics and all that. And I legitimately saw it. Like I saw Dayton Black, Angel Figueroa there, and then saw Rivenberg and Zot. And I was like, oh, this there, there's a formatting error. They get they screwed up the format. That's okay. Well, and I even tweeted out, I was like, oh, this is probably a formatting error. Then I saw the actual depth chart and I was like, oh no, this is what they're doing. And then I got a chuckle. And I was like, this is kind of a middle finger to the league. And like, I don't think the Tie Cats had to put them at fullback to make it like legal for them to do what they were doing i just think it's funny and if the league's gonna have a stupid rule i wish all teams would be this blatant about it being ridiculous if the and i understand where people are coming from they're they're mad about it because it's like oh they're not putting out an accurate depth chart and that could that could affect gambling stuff and fantasy and yada 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 that's the league's fault that's not that if the the team is trying to field its best 53-man roster, 46-man roster. They're trying to put their best 46 players on the roster. If this is how they have to do it, then your problem is with the rule the league instituted, not with the team. Do Like, did anyone complain? I mean, people probably did, but I just don't remember. When Kadeem Carey was the backup running back in Calgary after, com- after coming into the season as the league-leading rusher a year before, did people say, oh, the stamp should be fined for... No. No, they didn't. It's it, the idea that there should be any punishment levied on the Thai Cats for simply finding a loophole, as teams and coaches do across sports, to me is is idiotic. Because again, as I said, if you thought Joel Figueroa was playing as the fifth string fullback in this game, have your head examined. That was never going to happen. It's like our version of the fridge or the Chicago Bear player back in the day. Hey, you know what? Back. If they wanted to put him there to block, that'd be awesome. Like the 49ers yeah. do that with Trent Williams sometimes. They get him as like a lead blocker, and that guy's a human mountain. Joel Figueroa is the Trent Williams. He's not as good as Trent Williams, but he's the Trent Williams size in the CFL. Could you imagine him coming down downhill as your lead blocker? You terrify people. Absolutely. Then just like a random thing here. You know the 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 QB sneaks in the NFL. They did the like the butt push last year. They get yeah, behind them. Yeah. And I, I thought they they uh I thought that was illegal now. Did they? No. I th- no, no. Oh okay. No. Maybe they were just talking about they it. They out a lot and they they decided not to. Oh, okay, because I saw it this weekend and I was like, oh, I thought they got rid of that. But anyways, you know, anyways. You know what's funny? I watch it. Uh, yeah, we're getting a little off topic here, but I watch a lot of NFL. You know what I don't hear? I hear fans saying like they don't like it, but you know what I don't hear them saying? It's ruining the game. I don't really hear anyone saying it's ruining the game, but yet in the CFL, when they were, <laughs> yeah. when Caleb Evans is rushing for 17 rushing touchdowns on QB sneaks, all we got from the, you know, the CFL Twitterati was, oh, this is a, this is an abomination on the game. He broke Doug Flutie's rushing touchdown record. Like anyone knew Doug Flutie had the goddamn rushing touchdown record for quarterbacks and like anyone cared, but mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, it's ruining the game and they got to outlaw this and they got to, teams are going to. In every situation, teams are going to find loopholes to exploit things to make it easier for them to win football games. The butt push is one example. This is just another one. People need to lighten up. It's not that big a deal. Let's let's do, right. let's do that in the CFL. Let's do the butt push in the CFL. I don't know the why they cats. don't. 
Yeah. Why not? I mean, we we see way more third and short or, or you know, fourth and short in the NFL or whatever. QB sneaks in the CFL. You think they'd adopt that by now? Like, why not? And the thing is, they do it like so the Philadelphia Eagles are the team that does it the most. They're the one that popularizes. Mm-hmm. They do it with their starting quarterback who they just gave two hundred and fifty million dollars to. The CFL does it with their third like Kai Loxley, who is tangentially a quarterback. He's he's listed as a quarterback, but he's more of a receiver than a quarterback. They use him for this. If the Eagles aren't worried about getting their franchise quarterback hurt, why should the Ticats be worried about getting their third string quarterback? Like, do this up here. It's, I, I, do, I, it. do it. Like, like, I know we're the league that used to be like, oh, we innovate and then everyone else steals. Other teams are doing it in other leagues. Steal it from them if it works because it works a billion times a game. Like, I, okay, that's obviously an over exaggeration, but I haven't seen that stop very often in the NFL. No, no. And, and you got the yard off the ball. And then you add the butt push. I mean, they would be unstoppable. Come on, Ty Cats, let's let's start doing this. All right, all right, we'll start a petition. All right, uh, you ready to play a game? You ready to play some fill in the blank? Yeah, yeah, I, I do enjoy games, my friend. Okay, so there is an argument to be made that Week 15 in the CFL was the best week of games we have seen this season. The Argos Owls game ended in a blocked field goal. Edmonton and Saskatchewan came down to the wire and saw Trey Ford continue on his meteoric rise. The Ticats pulled off a truly shocking upset of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And then the ending of the Lions-Red-Blacks game was a CFL as the CFL gets, with the Leos coming back from down 19 in the fourth quarter to score three touchdowns in the final three minutes to win that game. Given all the craziness that we saw this past weekend, Week 15 action in the CFL was blank. Vintage CFL football. This is the reason why I fell in love with this league to begin with. You know, the high octane offense, the crazy endings, you know, the special teams, the missed field goal returns, like all that shit is very exciting. And if you watch CFL football this weekend and you said, ah, this is trash, you don't like football. I'm sorry. Like, obviously, We've had a problem in this league the last couple of years with the entertainment value, but I've found that the you know last couple of weeks, and not every game, obviously, but the entertainment value has jumped tremendously in the last couple of weeks in the CFL, and it, and it's great to see. So to me, it's vintage CFL football. Yeah, for me, this is what the league needed because, like you said, they've been building some momentum with these games. Television ratings have been on the rise. I think attendance has been steadily increasing as well. And then you get a week of games where every single game had something that made you go, wow, like a blocked field goal to end a game. You have a Canadian quarterback, whoever wants to get behind in the hottest environment in the league going off again. You have a missed extra point return. We're going to talk about that in a second. Returned 120 yards. You have an upset for the ages, Ticats over the Bombers. And then you have what they they did in in BC where, and I hate the cliche of, well, anything can happen in the final three minutes, but then everything happened in the final three minutes. Like it was was like the Glenn Suter hard on game. Oh, you always talked about the last three minutes. You know, you know that, you know, that picture you see of Randy Marsh from South Park where he's just, that was, that was spooky ghost. At the end of that game, he was in his element, and yeah. I, I, I would hate to have seen the booth. Was he calling that game? Hmm, that's a it good was. question. It was, it? it was him and Farhan, was it not? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so I would have hate to be the guy who had to clean up the booth after that game because it was oh probably a mess. But also mm. for them to have this weekend 
on the same week, like the NFL's in full swing. The college football season is in full swing. U sports, I know it's it's a lesser thing, not as well watched, but that's like to be able to capture some of that Canadian viewer attention on a week when every other league is also going on. That's why I think the league needed it because it, it reminded everyone who, you know, you get to this this part of the season and maybe your team's not in it and or they're waning a little bit and you're becoming disinterested or maybe you're an NFL fan too and you're like, well, the NFL's starting up and beginnings of seasons are always more exciting than like the middle-ish part. Like we're getting to the end, so it gets a little bit more exciting, but the middle-ish part can be a little bit of a slog when it comes to watching sports. So maybe you're like kind of one foot over into the NFL camp or the college football camp, if that's your thing. Um, but then this happens and you're just like, oh, this is, like you said, this is why I love this stupid little league. Like this is why mm-hmm. I was attracted to this in the first place as a kid because of this, the crazy never say never type of things that can happen. It's what makes you love sports in general, but especially the Canadian Football League. We got everything you could have hoped for. Like every aside from, and you you would hate this, and I'm in the same camp. Aside from like a game-winning rouge, you basically had every single CFL trope happen yeah. in one weekend. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it was great to see. I I enjoyed. I watched every game, and I I enjoyed them all. And it was, and it wasn't one one of those cases where you know it was shitty up until the last five minutes or so no. of the game. Most of these games were, were entertaining throughout the whole 60 minutes. Yeah. And they were, even if they weren't necessarily like, like, I don't think the Argos Owls game was like a barn. Yeah. Runner, that first half but was, it was a always slow, yeah. but it was always close, but it was close. Yeah. yeah. And close games always breeds that like, okay, we're getting to the end and it's like, okay. And the Argos looked mortal in that game. So it's like, that gives hope to the other teams in the league where it's like, okay, the big bad Argos that are kind of running roughshod over everyone. Oh, Montreal kind of provided a blueprint to maybe beat them. I don't know. We'll have to wait. You know, the Owls ended up losing, but it's like, I don't know. You get to this time of year to have these types of games. It's just awesome for the league. Uh, okay. After Tyreek McAllister, Ticats return man and receiver, returned a missed convert uh, to 120 yards. We just talked about this a little earlier for two points against the Bombers. We saw some chatter that such a play should be worth more than just the two points that he got. The feeling was that a play of such magnitude and skill should reward the scoring team with more than just those two points. McAllister himself even said this on Twitter, as did a number of fans and media types, with some going so far as to say a missed convert return should net the returning team six points. It should count as a touchdown, Mike. So changing a missed convert return from two to six points is blank. Not necessary. I I know it's a lot, lot, you know, it's a, it's a long way to run for only two points, but I just think that changing it isn't necessary. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, and it's an extra point, right? So I think two points is, is fine. And I think they should keep it that way. It is silly. It's changing it from two to six is silly. It's just say two. It's a convert return. If they went for two and the, and he intercepted it and took it back. It's only worth two points. It's not an actual play. It's a, it's an extra point. So the idea that because we saw, and the thing, the thing I find funny is I think this is the sixth or seventh time. Like I was in attendance, I think for the very first time this happened, which was speedy B returned an extra point missed against Ottawa in Ottawa for two. The Ticats ended up getting blown out in that game, but that was 2015. 
and he took it back. And I don't remember people being like, well, what a great play. That should be worth a touchdown. So I don't really understand why we're having this conversation now. It's not a new rule. It's not like it's implemented this year. It's been around for nearly a decade. It's a, it, yes, it, pardon me. It was a fantastic play. It required a lot of work on everyone's part, but it was on an extra point. So it only should count for two. The fact that it even counts for two is good. You know what I mean? Like they could have said it counts as one. Counting it for two is fine. And I mean, it didn't end up being the entire margin of victory, but those two points did help the Ticats win that game. I, I think I think rewarding it with six would be just overkill. Uh, because here's the thing. if So if it counts as six, so let's say he, he takes it, and then halfway through the return he fumbles, and the kicking team picks it up and scores, should that count as a touchdown too? It, you get into some murky waters there that I'm just not I'm just not comfortable. Keep it at two points, it's fine. We don't like you said, we don't really see this all that often. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you. Uh, I'm glad that the the rule is in place for these exciting plays to happen. And I wonder to myself as I watch Tim Hortons Field erupt on that play, if they what's knew? the percentage? What's the percentage of people that know that it's only worth two points? Uh, just interesting. I... Very, very low. I thought the same thing. Like it was exciting and I, I was on my feet mm-hmm. too, but at the same time, I'm like, it's only worth two points. And I think a lot of people in here are going to hear the tie cats are now up 12 to six and be like, huh? Because it's right. also, there's also that like a big play happens and like, maybe you're one of the people who are in concessions and you're c- trying to come back to your seat as they're kicking the extra point. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you think it's a field goal and not an extra, but you know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. then in the excitement of the big play, there's the idea that you, you get so caught up in it that you forget that, it's, oh, this is only worth two points but it was a big two points it helped the Ticats win that game so everyone was still happy anyway all right so from Chad Kelly's push for the most outstanding player award to the rise and seeming fall of Dustin Crum to Trey Ford's magic in Edmonton young quarterbacks have been the talk of the league this year even outside of those three we've seen Jake Dolagallo win games with the Riders Taylor Powell here in Hamilton has breathed new life into the Ticats and even Drew Brown garnered some headlines when he played in place of Zach Caleros earlier this year The state of quarterbacking in the CFL seems to always be perilous and always be something that fans and media seem to worry about. But this year has seen a number of young signal callers step up in places of veterans. So excluding Kelly, because I think he would be the most obvious answer here. The young QB that you have the most faith in becoming a team's long-term starter, not necessarily the team he's on now, but any team's long-term starter is blank. Taylor Powell. I know this is the homer pick, but he's just like over the last couple of weeks, he's impressed me so much with his play that it's got to be TP. He is the man, uh, you know, and like I mentioned earlier, he can use his legs when necessary. So obviously he doesn't have the athleticism of a Trey Ford. And I think Trey Ford has a lot of uh, upside to him. There's no de- there's no denying it the way that he's turned around that offense in Edmonton. But as a passer, as a guy that I'd like to have as my quarterback, I think it's got to be Taylor Powell. So I wanted to just kind of go through the guys and kind of like talk this out because I've had a heart because because my gut reaction to was Taylor Powell. And I was like, I don't want to be a homer here and just take the guy that's on our team. So I wanted to talk this out. And because you're here, you're going to have to talk it out with me. So with Drew Brown, I kind of eliminated him early because he looked great in the game that he came in on in relief of of Zach Caleros but then he started the next game and didn't look all that great I know a lot of people around the league are really high on him but the sample size is also too small I think he's only started like two or three games total and he hasn't he's looked great and he hasn't so I'm I I need to see more from him same with Dola Gala he's he's looked really good starting for the Riders 
but I just don't know if that's it. Again, it's, it's a small, it's even a smaller sample size than we've seen from Taylor Powell, quite frankly. So I want to see a little more of him before I'm ready to put a crown on his head. Dustin Crum, I think has played himself out of the conversation. I think he's a serviceable player, but all that, you know, crumb back, the magic that we saw earlier in the year. I mean, they've lost seven in a row as with him as the quarterback, and he looks like he's regressed. Then we come to Trey Ford, and this was the one that I was like, okay, it should be Trey Ford. His passing is not – I don't think it's at the professional level yet. Does that feel like a, a fair statement to make? Because his his athleticism and the, and the running is awesome. But I think he's passed for over 200 yards once in, a, in his five starts. So as we know, you have to be able to throw in this league to win – Am I wrong to be to be doubting? I, I'm not saying that Trey Ford can't do that, but I'm just saying like he's not that now. Whereas Taylor Powell is a more polished passer, which led me to Powell, and it it feels like the homer pick, but it feels like the only one. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think Trey Ford is an incredible athlete, and uh, you know he can run all over the place. He can make people miss, all that great stuff. But you're talking about a guy who won game had 22 yards passing going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, maybe that's partly because of the coaching and they're, and they're holding and they're not allowing him to throw a lot downfield. And they don't have to though, because that running game has been like Kevin Brown has been on fire doing a whole heck of a lot to, to try to win me that preseason bet I made of him leading the league and rushing. He's doing a damn good job of trying to make up that deficit right now. He's been on a, friggin' run of a lifetime, but they've been running the ball so well, so they haven't had to throw, but they have so many good receivers. Like you have to open up the op. Like this was the questions we had with Taylor Powell, right? Like they, they had the kid gloves on it, the handcuffs on the training was on whatever you want to say. It's like, we want to see what he can do as a passer. And we haven't really seen that from Ford. So until I see that, I feel like Powell's the better prospect. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I do not think, I think if, if people were talking honestly about quarterbacking in this league, young quarterbacks in particular, they would look at Taylor Powell and be like, he's the best one right now. Trey Ford is a very exciting player. And he could be, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in this league if you combine his running and he gets better at the passing. Like, there's so much potential there. There's a very high ceiling with Trey Ford. But at this moment in time, it's got to be Taylor Powell. That's a great way to put it. I think Ford probably has the highest ceiling of all the guys here. Like he's of the of what we've seen play. If he ever does refine himself as a passer, he wins multiple most outstanding player awards as a quarterback in this league. Because he can buy time, man. Like yeah. you see that play against Saskatchewan last week. He's running yep. all over the place, and then he finds Geno Lewis wide open in the end zone. So yeah, if he can if he can get that that accurate passing down, man, he's going to be very very dangerous. And he doesn't even have to, he doesn't have to be an elite passer for me to be like, oh, I want that guy as my starting quarterback. He just has to be better than what he's been like 179 yards or whatever it is he's averaging a game just isn't good enough in this league. Like all those years ago when people were like, oh man, Tim Tebow should come to the CFL because he dominated. And everyone's like, he can't throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Trey Ford's just Canadian Tim Tebow right now. Like he's a better passer than Tim Tebow ever was. But if if Trey Ford wasn't Canadian, I don't think he's getting all the hoopla that he's getting right now. I think because he's a Canadian quarterback, he was a first round draft pick and he is an exciting player to watch. I would never take that away from him. He has been one of the most fun players to watch this year since he stepped on the field. But as a refined quarterback, he's probably fifth on like maybe he's fourth ahead of Dustin Crum. But Crum is even a little bit of a better passer than him. So I just think when you take it all together, 
Powell's the guy who he's not as athletic as as Ford or even Crum, but he's athletic enough. He's probably not as good as passers Brown and Dolagala, but he's good enough. So his his floor might be the highest, but his ceiling might I wouldn't say it's the lowest. I think I think the other some of the other guys are lower, but his ceiling's not as high as as say Trey Ford's is. So it I don't know. I like I think Trey Ford, should he develop into a more refined thrower of the football? He's the no doubt answer from this. If we look back on in five years and Trey Ford's become a great passer, our answer will look silly. But as we sit here right now, I think it's got to be Taylor Powell. And that's a really good place for the Tiger Cats to be in if I'm not being, if I'm being honest. And you, and you know what? If, if Trey Ford was an incredible passer of the football, like he'd be gone next year, right? I mean, he's in oh, the NFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's, yeah. no, there's no way that he's staying here. But since he's not, I think there's no chance he's he's going to be in the NFL as a quarterback. Like maybe maybe they change his position because he's such a great athlete. But I don't think he wants to do that. I think he's already you know been approached with that option in the NFL. And I think, I, I, I think he's worked down. So I think in his draft year he went to NFL camps as I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it was as a receiver. It most definitely was not as a quarterback. And his brother plays pro day. Yeah, and his brother plays pro day in the offseason. His brother plays for the Packers. Oh really? I didn't know that. Okay. I don't. I don't know if he plays. He's definitely with the pack. I think he's on their practice <clears throat> roster. Ah. I mean, you know what? Ah. As, as you talk, I'm gonna look that up just to make sure. Yeah, he. Pl- they played at the the same university in the in the yeah, OUA, right? Yeah, yeah Waterloo. Waterloo. So. So yeah, the bonus is for the Edmonton Elks is like he's not gonna get snatched away in the NFL. I don't think like a Nathan Rourke type player. And there, you know, there's gonna be time to develop his game in Canada. So. He's gonna be he's gonna be a massive star if he continues to improve as a quarterback. All right. So Tyrell Ford, Trey Ford's brother, was released after training camp. So he was with the Packers, but they let him go in August. So he's a freaker right now, and he used to play for the Bombers. So maybe he comes back north, or maybe he gets another shot. Uh, he was a safety. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he's a defensive back. All right. Interesting. All right. So let's move on. Uh, that was a fun discussion. No, I, I, you know, I'm actually curious. Anyone listening to this. Hit us up. Tell us what young quarterback you like. Cause I'm really curious to get kind of a, maybe we'll get a consensus here, but I, I'd love to hear who you guys out there listening, who you think one of these guys could be the next, you know, long-term starter for somebody and, and, and kind of the reasons why I'm really curious to get some, we have some really knowledgeable listeners, even more knowledgeable than you and I buddy. And I just really, <laughs> yep. I'd really like, honestly, I'd really like to get some, I love seeing differing opinions on this because I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer. We're all just kind of going on potential here if we're being honest. So I'm just curious as to who some of the people listening to the show, whether you're a homer for your guy or not, I'm just kind of curious to to see what you guys will come up with as, as your reasonings for the guy that you would pick. Let's talk about the game coming up this weekend for the fourth time this year, fifth, if you include the preseason, our Hamilton Tiger Cats will match up with the Toronto Argonauts for the Tiger Cats. This game is massive it is a chance for another statement win following last week's upset victory over Winnipeg. And it gets them even closer with a win to potentially hosting the East semifinal on November 4th. It would also get them to seven and seven, which would put them at the 500 mark, which is something that they've been grasping and clawing at all season for the Argos though, this game and every game from now until the East final on November 11th is just about staying healthy. They have secured first place in the East and now won't play a meaningful football game for almost two months They now have to decide what to do with their roster over these next six games, and that begins on Saturday. Don't think that they'll rest a bunch of guys, but you never really know. Like, we're getting to the—they have already had all their bye weeks. They're playing right through until 
the weekend of the East semi and they get to take that week off. So maybe they'll try to rest some guys up. I don't necessarily think it'll happen this week, but you never know. So Mike, under these bizarre circumstances, which we see very rarely where a team has locked in their playoff position in, in September, September. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the Ticats need to do to get this win on Saturday? I got five things for you and they're Ooh. not, uh, they're not breaking, you know, I'm not a genius <laughs> as we've established over the last, what, since 2015 on this podcast, <laughs> but we got to start hot. We started hot last week against Winnipeg. You can't, you can't dilly dally around in the first and second quarter against these top echelon teams. You have to get off to a good score at start. Let's score. Touch- I think last week might've been the first time we scored a touchdown in the first quarter, if I'm not mistaken. That, we can't do that. I'll have, to, cannot, I'll, have to look, I'll have to look that up, but it certainly felt like it. If it's not, it was the first time in a long time. Yeah. So we, we got to do that. We got to score points in the first quarter. We got to, we can't fall behind against the Toronto Argonauts, even if they're resting some guys, because they are uh, very deep. So even if the backups are playing, they're going to be a, a solid squad. Limit penalties. The penalties kill us. Limit turnovers. Uh, a team like Toronto is going to, going to jump on those turnovers. They're going to make, the Ticats regret turning over the ball. They're going to get points out of it. Get pressure on Chad Kelly, which is going to be a very hard task because that Toronto Argonauts offensive line just doesn't really allow sacks. Um, and our O-line is going to have to perform well because I think one of the main reasons why the Toronto Argonauts have been so dominant this year is their lines. Their defensive line is very solid. Their offensive line is great. So going up against a top uh, echelon defensive line. It's going to be a big test for these, especially with the the injury to Figueroa. Let's see how that plays out. Whoever's going to replace him, let's see how he does. I think it's going to be essential for the offensive line to play really well in this one. All right. Well, as for replacing Joel Figueroa, I think it's going to be Jordan Murray moving over to left tackle, and then Tyrone Riley is going to slide in at right tackle. Okay. I like that. Um, I like that's- that. That's just a guess, but that's that's the an educated guess that I'm going to make here. So my things are, first and foremost, be smart. You mentioned the penalties. Don't take stupid penalties. Don't extend Argo's drives by doing something silly. Don't get into any sort of kerfuffles with these guys. It's not Labor Day. It's not the end of the world. There's another game these two teams could potentially be playing against each other. That's the more important one. So... Be smart in this one. Don't give the Argos chances to keep the ball or give the ball to the Argos. Control the clock, whether that means with establishing a run game and and leaning on it as they have done. I don't suspect, uh, barring this game getting out of hand early, that they will abandon the run game as they would have with Condell calling the plays. But if you can keep the Argos offense off the field, you can win this football game. They are a very potent offense. They're a great defense, don't get me wrong, but they're a very potent offense. And... If they're not on the field, they can't score points. As simple as that. And then defensively, create some turnovers. Hamilton has done a really good job in the last few weeks. Stavros Katsantonis has an interception in three straight games. Like to see that streak continue. If they can steal some possessions from the Argos via creating turnovers, I think that'll give them a great chance to win this game. This is going to be, this is probably the last most difficult game on their schedule. After this, they have, they host Calgary, then they go to Saskatchewan then they host BC, and then they go to Montreal. Those are all important games. Those are all, no game is easy to win, but this is the last game, and it's it's even got that little asterisk next to it because we don't know what the Argos are going to do. We said last week, talking about the Bombers game, we'd be happy with 1-1. One and one. We wouldn't be down at 0-2. Oh we know they're going to be at least 1-1 one and one in these two. If they go 2-0, and oh, are we going to have a like a party on the show next week and then get told by Argos fans, oh, it doesn't matter because they're, 
Like, I just, mm-hmm. just want to know where we should set our expectations for ne- going into next week if we get this win on Saturday. If we get this win on Saturday, I think that we can be – we can get back on the uh, – let, let me put it this way. They win against Toronto, we will be 20 toes down. Like, I know we said we were 20, 20 toes, toes down. And I thought That's that Josh had had, uh, had four feet four because feet? he included me. <laughs> yeah, because he included me with my toes um, last week. But – I own your toes. You own my toes. That's true. Why you don't understand this? I know. I know. I gave up my toes as soon as we uh, started this podcast. When when, when we started doing doing this show, you signed over your life to everybody. Yeah, you did. You said, uh, I want your life and I want your toes. And I said, done. I Um, don't have a soul, so I needed yours. Exactly. Exactly. so, so, yeah, I think that if they win this game, we can be very confident again. And you we have a four. Out there, didn't you? I did because we were talking about toes. <laughs> and such. So that's okay. if that's, we win this game, what... I'll be back. I'll be back <laughs> on on the wagon, on the confidence train, and uh, we can go from there And four games left. And obviously, you know, facing teams like BC, Saskatchewan, Montreal, and Calgary, minus maybe Calgary, um, those, aren't, those aren't top echelon teams. But they're, you know, they they can put up a fight. They're pretty good. Maybe BC you could put in the the top three. Um, but yeah, win this game, and and I, I will be back uh, on the bandwagon. All right, it'll be fun talking next week because I think I'm gonna make. You know what? I'll I'll say it right here. If we win this game on Saturday, East Semi's gonna be in Hamilton. I know that's not a bold proclamation, but if they win this game, they'll have beaten the Lions. They'll have beaten the Argos. They'll beat in the Bombers. You know who hasn't done any of those things? The Montreal Alouettes. Now, you know what the Tigers haven't done is beat the Montreal Alouettes. So that game at the end of the year could be for who hosts the semi. But if the Tabbies can win on Saturday, I think the Alouettes are still in free fall mode here. And I think that they're going to lose a few more and possibly make that game meaningless. If Hamilton wins to get to 7-7, seven and seven, they're hosting the East Final. Or East Semi Final, sorry. The Argos are hosting the East Final. The Tigers are hosting the East Semi. They're getting to the East final. And it might as well be a home game there. at that point, right? I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If they get to the East final and we sat here all season and tore into this team and, and talked about how they would never do anything and they sucked and they were playing like garbage and we wrote them off probably three or four times already. If this team makes a run to the gray cup, it might be the same. And we talked a few weeks ago about how this team was one of the most disappointing in franchise history. Yeah. And we're now, now we're talking yeah. about them potentially making a run to the Grey Cup. Uh, we're schizophrenic on this show, buddy, aren't we not? We are, but the, the team makes us that way. Team, I mean, it was so like that last confusing. year. They stunk. They stunk for the first, you know, however many games, and then they won five in a row at the end of the season. Games. They sucked. Yeah. And, and, then and, then, and then we got excited. We got... You know, we we got behind the team again, and then they were one and done in the playoffs. But I think, I think if we can, you know, if we turn it around down the stretch this year, I think that this team is better than than last year's team. Um, you know, I I'm not sure. Maybe we'll be one and done in the playoffs as well. But listen, we get the win uh, this weekend, and then we can go from there. But if we do get the win, I'll be I'll be pretty happy. Is hope and excitement really a bad thing? Sure, it can break our hearts, and this team's yeah. broken our hearts more times than we can count. But is it really a bad thing to be sitting here as we record this in late September, excited about the potential that this team could have? Given where we were right after Labor like two weeks ago, we were like, well, this is over. They just got mm-hmm. hammered on Labor Day again. 
This team's not doing anything. Oh, they're going to go into Ottawa on short rest. They're going to lose that one. Oh, they're playing the Bombers. They're going to lose that one. This team at every turn does exactly the opposite of what I think they're going to do. So who knows? Maybe we should just think that they're going to suck. We should think they're going to get their asses kicked every week. Yes. Yes. Especially if they make it to the Grey Cup. Give them no chance. None. If they make it to the Grey Cup, I am saying publicly that they will not win that game. Because every year they're in the Grey Cup, I say they're going to win. And they don't. don't. So I'm going on the record. If they make the cup, they're not winning. But it's it's just nice to be excited about this team late in the season. The potential is there. They look like they're coming together at the right time, just like they did a year ago. Hopefully things end better than they did there. But, I mean, if that game against Montreal last year in the E-Semi was in Hamilton, not Montreal, I think it's a different outcome, quite honestly. I think home field really makes a difference in those types of situations. And Hamilton in in the playoffs at home since Tim Hortons Field has opened has only lost once. It's a bit of a fortress come playoff time. So they haven't been a great home team this year. The win against Winnipeg was just their second home win of the season. So they got two more. They're only, they only could potentially win four at home this year. We could, I mean, if they went over 500, it means they were phenomenal on the road. Even if they go to 500, that means they'll be awesome on the road. So still a lot of football left to play, but, uh, when this, when I was looking at the schedule on Labor Day and saw this game coming up, I thought by now we'd still be in the doldrums. Now that we're mm-hmm. in a tie for second place and, Really, a half game back of the Owls for, and we're for going up, and the Owls are going down, right? That's like, right. It's just we're That's trending right. upwards; they're trending downwards. So you know, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. They look great at the start of the year. We're looking great at the end yep. of the year. I know where I'd rather be, quite honestly. We have the same mm-hmm. record. I'd rather be where the Ticats are right now than the Alouettes. All right, that was Pod Scooby for this week. I'm Josh Smith, and I'm Mike Graham. Eat 'em raw. Eat 'em raw. <laughs>